Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. In today's episode, which is number seven, I thought I would do something special. Seven represents Jesus, and I thought we would take a look at what Jesus said about the kingdom of heaven and compare that with Bitcoin. So get ready for an exciting topic today. But before we get into the subject matter itself, I would just like to share with you that I've decided that any funds that come into this podcast, I will put either into promoting this podcast or into any costs associated directly with it. And at the moment, the ways that I would see doing that are, one, for promoting the podcast would be to utilize Fountain's promotional features. So that would be one goal that I would be looking forward to reaching. And that would be more of a short-term goal, probably the first goal. And the second goal would be to move the podcast to a censorship-resistant platform. At the moment, just starting out, there's really not much reason to censor the podcast. But as this is a Christian podcast and some of the views are distinctly Christian and fly in the face of modern so-called Western values that the powers that be are often censoring against, I would eventually like to move this podcast to a censorship-resistant platform so that it remains available to you. And that would be a long-term goal, something that isn't particularly urgent, but would be desirable in the long term. So if you appreciate this podcast and you contribute to it, then I think the logical thing is to use that contribution to share what blessed you and to promote it to others and make it possible to keep it online in the long run. So until further notice, that will be the plan. And I just want to thank you for those who have sent in something and also thanks in advance to those who will in the future. May your contributions be blessed and help the cause of God and the cause of Bitcoin in that way. And those are the only costs that I have in mind at the moment. The podcast itself is free. It's hosted on Substack. And the time that I put into it is something that I give back to the Lord. And quite frankly, it's a joy and a pleasure to do it. And I look forward every week to the opportunity to study into these topics a little deeper. And when I do so, it just thrills my soul. So I hope that comes across to you a little bit in every episode. And uh, today, this is one of the most special ones, in my opinion, because we will be looking at the words of, as Christians, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself, and what that has to do with Bitcoin. And for those who might not be Christians, this episode will give you insight into Jesus's way of thinking and help you recognize that if he were here today, he would be a Bitcoiner. 
So with that, let's jump right in. I started the preparations for this episode by just taking a look. I had a suspicion at the back of my mind that probably the vast majority of what Jesus said about the kingdom of heaven is really applicable to Bitcoin. And so I set out to verify whether that's really the case. And I did that by searching for the word kingdom in the Bible, particularly in the Gospels. And what I found was just amazing. It actually exceeded my expectations. I stopped after going through just the book of Matthew, where I found about 45 instances where Jesus referred to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And of those 45, the vast majority were dealing with financial scenarios and with principles that align 100% with Bitcoin. So, you know, and this shouldn't be particularly surprising because Jesus spoke to the people in sort of the common language and the common uh, frame of mind that the people had at that time. And if you think about the time that Jesus lived and what it was like in Israel at that time, they were under Roman authority at that time. They had their own governmental structures, but they were definitely controlled and under the power of Rome. And as we go through this topic, uh, you'll see how that relates very much to the time that we live in today. If you think of Rome as representing the existing power structures of this world, which are based on the fiat financial system, then it becomes clear how those who are looking for a better way, particularly Bitcoiners who see in Bitcoin's principles of operation a better system that will lead to a new and better world, then you can really uh, relate that to how the Jews in Israel felt at that time, being under Roman rule and looking forward to a kind of independence of their kingdom and a regaining of the sovereignty that they had lost as a nation. And so it's no wonder that the entire Jewish mindset at that time was very focused on sort of matters of the kingdom and on financial matters because money has so much to do with politics and with kingdoms and with the establishment of them and all these sorts of things. And money and commerce and economic issues are things that everyone faces, everyone deals with in some form or another. And as Jesus went about and talked to all classes of people, he had something to say to everyone that was fitting to the issues that they dealt with in their daily lives. And what I found in looking for all the references that Jesus made to the kingdom is that in almost every instance, in almost every lesson that he taught, almost every parable that he made, every comparison about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God was in a setting that was either directly 
connected to money or financial or economic matters or had something to do with them in some way. And at the same time, he taught principles of character development and met the people where they were at and communicated to them in principles that they could understand no matter who they were. And that's one of the things I admire so much about Jesus is his ability to assess the people and to respond to them in exactly the way that would meet them according to their needs. According to their mindset that they presented, he would answer them in just the right way. And perhaps that's why so much of his discourse had to do with matters of wealth or finances, because money was something that was on the people's mind, and they were looking for a kingdom where they could be independent and have a true chance at establishing wealth and having a satisfying life. And isn't that where people are at today? The world at large is disenchanted with the status quo and seeking a better way. And Bitcoin brings the hope and opportunity for financial independence, which leads to independence of all kinds. And we're going to see in this episode how that fits into the principles that Jesus taught. So this actually starts with the preaching of John the Baptist. So in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, is the very first mention of the word kingdom. And it's talking about the preaching of John the Baptist. So starting with verse 1 of chapter 3, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's kind of just the one-line summary of what John the Baptist preached. It included two main points. One was a call to repentance, and the other was a statement that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. One had to do with reformation of character, and the other had to do with the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And in particular, that a reformation of character was necessary because the kingdom of heaven was coming. And I dwell on this because actually the very next mention of the kingdom of heaven comes in chapter 4, verse 17. And there it says that from that time, Jesus began to preach. So now Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this message that started with John the Baptist is exactly the same message that Jesus also preached. And so let's take a little closer look at this in the light of Bitcoin. Both John and Jesus taught people to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, think about how this sounded to the people at that time who were looking to be free from the rulership of the Romans. They expected the kingdom of Israel to become independent and to regain its former glory and even exceed it, as the prophecies had indicated. And it's also interesting, just kind of as a side note here, that they did not see this as a contradiction with the kingdom 
being called the kingdom of heaven. In other words, John and Jesus both spoke about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And for the people at that time, they understood it as referring to the rejuvenation of the kingdom of Israel on earth. And so I think that's very interesting because from our standpoint as Christians today, being much more distant from their way of thinking, there is a tendency to put all the focus on the literal heavenly kingdom. That is to say, in the stars, you know, where Jesus is now, where he ascended into heaven. And to assume that Jesus referred only to that kingdom, but we have the precedence that the Jews themselves who were listening to him in person, when they heard him speak about the kingdom of heaven, they understood it as referring to a kingdom on earth that followed the principles of heaven. And so I think that's key when we look at Bitcoin and its role in the coming of Jesus Christ, that it's not a conflict to say that an earthly kingdom or an earthly monetary system is connected to the kingdom of heaven. The fact that Bitcoin was invented by human beings or that Satoshi Nakamoto was a man or a group of people, that doesn't negate the fact that Bitcoin can serve the function of the kingdom of heaven on earth until Jesus comes. So I think that's a very important point to understand. And when Jesus and John both said to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was indicating that the kingdom of heaven followed principles that would dictate justice and therefore people needed to make sure that they were in the right, that they were doing right by the laws of heaven. Uh, therefore, they needed to repent and turn away from any bad practices that they were doing. And some specific examples of that were recorded in the context of John's preaching, where various people came to him and said, you know, how should I repent? Repent literally means to go back, to turn around. And so, People were asking when they heard the preaching of John the Baptist, they said, wow, you know, we're really impressed and convinced and we believe what you're preaching. How does that apply to me personally? What do I need to change? What do I need to turn around on? And uh, let's just take a look at those things that were mentioned. Now, this comes in Luke chapter 3, where we read about that. We can read about the preaching of John the Baptist there up until about verse 9. And then in verse 10, it says, And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. So, first of all, just in general, to all the people who inquired, what shall we do? He answered that they should share in their abundance. If they had more than they needed, then they should give some to those who were in need. This is the true principle of philanthropy. This is the true way to give. This is the true principle of charity, of out of the free 
will, choice of your own self out of your abundance that you give to those who are in need. And that's something that we need a revival of in the world today. We have today a lot of so-called charity and a lot of so-called philanthropy where money is aggregated by large organizations and then distributed according to uh, how those organizations decide. But this is not how the Bible teaches to practice charity or how uh, the Bible teaches to practice philanthropy. It teaches that on an individual level, those individuals who have more or less, it teaches that this principle should be done on an individual level and not committed to centralized powers. And, you know, I think this is something that Bitcoin really helps because, first of all, Bitcoin, because of its nature as a bearer asset, meaning that you individually, when you hold Bitcoin with your own private keys and you are the only one that has those keys, then it becomes your free will decision of how to dispose of that property. You can then practice what John the Baptist taught here. You can make a free will decision to give what is in your power. This is in contrast to the giving of, you know, big organizations like, you know, a lot of times sort of nefarious organizations actually clean up their image by giving, you know, to good causes like, uh, you know, I think of the prime example is Bill Gates. Years ago, he didn't have such a good image in the eyes of the people. And he started a campaign of philanthropy to create a good image in the eyes of people that, yes, you know, and it's not just him, but many, many wealthy, powerful people do this same thing. They present themselves as benefactors of humanity, as the ones who, yes, they get a lot of wealth, but they also use that wealth to benefit others. And it seems good on the surface. It seems like it's following what John the Baptist here said, but it's actually not quite so. The way the fiat system works, they are actually obtaining their wealth through means, through a system, through the fiat system that actually robs from the poor and gives to the rich systematically as a inbuilt characteristic. You know, when they talk about, you know, a goal of 2% inflation or in recent days, they've just, you know, thrown that out the window, uh, if not in word, indeed, and uh, they just print exorbitant amounts of money and then turn around and and uh, tighten rates and kind of try to rein that back in. And in so doing, they're kind of playing this game of inflate, deflate, inflate, deflate. But in the cycle of doing so, the money is taken from the pockets of the people and then given back by these large benefiting organizations back to causes that those organizations then decide upon. So in that way, the money is taken from the poor, taken from the common people, and given to causes that the powers that be decide upon. And you wonder why, well, who's paying for all these things? We didn't ask for that. We, the people, didn't ask for that. You know, where's that money coming from? Well, it is coming from your own pocket. The value is siphoned out through inflation 
and then fed back into the system in sort of a continual cycle that, like a hidden tax, in addition to the overt tax. And in that way, the government prospers. And that's why inflation is so dangerous in comparison to taxes. Taxes are bad enough, but at least there's a certain amount of transparency as to what that money is being used for. Uh, there, There's supposed to be, anyway, some accountability there. And so, just coming back to the topic here, John the Baptist here talks about true charity, giving to those who are in need. Notice that it doesn't say sell what you have and give it to a charitable organization to decide where best to spend it. No. He says, if you have extra, give to those who are in need. You then become the one to decide who is in need and who is not. And you, being in power of your own resources, then play an active role in bettering society according to your own judgment, that's very empowering, very enabling, and allows you to become an active agent in the work of God, unlike the way that the fiat system incentivizes. That's one of the subtle benefits of Bitcoin in contrast to the fiat system. So let's continue on to the next verse. It says in verse 12, Then came also publicans to be baptized, Publicans were the people who dealt with the public, particularly like tax collectors. Now, in those times, the tax collectors actually did deal with the public. They were the ones sort of on the front lines collecting the money from the people. And therefore, they kind of had an opportunity to take advantage of that position and to kind of pocket some of the money along the way, which probably wasn't legal then any more than it is now, but nevertheless, it happened in a cash society that can happen. And therefore, they were also known as being dishonest and they were basically hated by the people, not just in the same way that the tax man is hated today, but additionally, in the sense that people knew that this particular agent was surely personally himself benefiting and that the taxes he was collecting were partly going just to line his own pockets. And so it was perhaps even worse than it is today. Or maybe by extension, you could include politicians in the comparison with publicans here because, you know, they do line their pockets with the resources that are collected through taxation today. And so however you want to look at it, the point is that these were people that dealt with the public and therefore had an opportunity to take advantage of the public and take money from them that was not rightfully theirs. You could perhaps uh, compare this to like a youngster working at a fast food drive through and he falsifies the total of your order and then pockets the difference. And that's why they have systems in place to ensure that they can't falsify the order. That's kind of how it worked. So anyway, then came also these publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do, we publicans? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. So, in other words, John the Baptist told him, told them, Hey, take only 
the right amount, only the amount that the government says you are supposed to take. So in other words, don't charge people more taxes than what the government stipulates. Don't pocket the extra. Now, it's interesting that this was the counsel of how the the publicans were supposed to repent because the kingdom of heaven was coming. In other words, you could rephrase what John the Baptist was saying to them like this. Hey, guys, look, if you want to survive when the kingdom of heaven comes, you better not be taking more than what the system says you should be taking because you won't get away with that in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a just kingdom and you're not going to be able to just pocket the change like that. Now, compare what Bitcoin does, and perhaps you could argue many other uh, digital systems. Bitcoin makes it so that you can't just, you know, pocket the change here and there. Amounts are actually recorded here and there on the blockchain or however the transaction is conducted in such a way that you can't just take extra, you know, you can't just ask for a little extra and then pocket the difference. It's kind of like when you go to a grocery store or any kind of store and they ring up your order and they give you the receipt and it, you know, has everything itemized on it. There's not really an opportunity for the cashier to say, okay, that'll be, you know, so much money and unbeknownst to you, that's not actually the exact amount. That's actually more, and you're going to pay more than what you actually are being charged by the company. That can't happen in modern technological systems because the computerized nature of it makes it impossible to kind of deceive about those things. And so when everyone transitions to the Bitcoin standard and cash is a thing of the past, then this becomes a universal thing where nobody can charge you other than the fair amount. And if it's not the fair amount, then you yourself will see that and you can say, hey, well, that's a higher price than I want to pay. And uh, no, I'm not, I'll buy it somewhere else. And then the free market can do its thing. And so when Bitcoin becomes ubiquitous and the more and more uh, types of transactions are done electronically and through all kinds of innovative computerized systems, uh, you know, technologically through the web, through uh, mobile apps, through all these sorts of ways, the sort of chain of connection between buyer and seller is all digitally traced and you know profit margins are all going to be programmed into that in such a way that there's you know nobody sort of as an individual as a publican as a you know money collector is going to be able to charge more or get away with any kind of advantage as they do today and as they did in Jesus's time so the point being that John's counsel to the publicans is very applicable to life on a Bitcoin standard. And that points to the way that Bitcoin represents the kingdom of heaven. And of course, in the grander scheme of things, to actually live with God literally in heaven in a kingdom of pure justice Obviously, dishonest people are not going to be able to live there anyway. And so the effect we see here is that Bitcoin on earth sort of enacts the principles of heaven here on earth in such a way that if people like the publicans can adapt their way here on earth to live 
under the Bitcoin standard, then they will be on their way to forming a character that will be compatible with heaven. And that's really the lesson in all this, is that Bitcoin provides kind of like a training ground here on earth. It brings the justice of heaven to earth here and now. And that's what John was saying. The kingdom of heaven is nigh. It's near. It's close at hand. Now, I think in this context, before we leave the publican, it's worth taking note of the fact that Jesus later had a particular encounter with a publican by the name of Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus. And he went and ate at his house. And through that encounter with Jesus, that publican made a decision to restore what he had taken from other people unfairly as a publican, as a tax collector, and he pledged half of his household to be restored to the poor, as John also said, for repentance, and to give fourfold to anyone that he had wrongly taken money from. And that's uh, particularly significant, that number fourfold, because in the Old Testament, that was the law against stealing, that if a man was caught stealing, that he was to restore fourfold what he had taken. And so Zacchaeus was essentially saying that, look, if I've stolen from anyone, I'm going to willingly pay it back fourfold. He repented. He turned away from his sort of fiat thinking of how can I get the most money and how can I abuse my position to get the most gain. And he turned away from that and said, no, I'm going to abide by the principles of justice. What is right is what I will do. And that's a great example of what John was preaching about right here. And that person's life was changed by Jesus Christ. And he willingly made that change. Now, nobody can force you to use Bitcoin. It's a free will choice for you to make to say, I'm going to use a system that honors the principles of God's kingdom, that honors justice that works in a way where I don't take advantage of others unjustly and where I'm not seeking how I can just increase my wealth. I want to have a character that is good and that can live and prosper in the kingdom of heaven, in a kingdom where there is no evil. That's the choice that Zacchaeus made. And for those of you who are not yet committed to Bitcoin, I encourage you to make that same choice. Now let's look at the next type of people who came to John. It says in verse 14, And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Now there's, there's a lot to unpack in this verse. First of all, why does it mention the soldiers in particular here? Well, soldiers represented force. Soldiers, if they wanted something, they basically could take it by force because they had arms on their side, they had this, the power of the state on their side, and basically they could do what they want and the people didn't really have the power to resist them. And it's interesting that John said to them, do violence to no man. Now, you could just take that literally as don't physically hurt anyone, 
But violence is not just about physical hurt or assault or that sort of thing. Violence is also simply the use of force. And that can be implicit force or nonviolent in the sense of violence as we typically think of it. And to give a clear example of that, that's what inflation is. It is taking value, taking something, the possessions of others by force. The common people have no ability to withstand that. It is literally violently, by force, taken away from them. That's the true meaning of violence. It's not physical attack, as we typically think. It's simply the use of force. That means removing the other person's free will, removing their need to cooperate in the transaction. It's unilateral action. That's violence. And when government powers take unilateral action to inflate the money supply, to print money, and then redistribute that to others, that is taking by violence. Remember when Pope Francis famously said that fundamentalists are violent in their thinking, in their mindset? No, 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 no. It's people like him who advocate for the redistribution of wealth by taking by force from the pockets of others, inflating the currency, and then pouring that fabricated money into other organizations. That is a thought process of violence. And that's something that we see happening in the world today. And what John is saying is, look, hey, when the kingdom of heaven comes, you're not going to get away with that. You won't be able to take things by violence. And do you see how clearly that aligns with the emergence of Bitcoin? Those who hold Bitcoin and hold it with their private keys in their own custody, there's nobody that can take that away from them by violence. You know, you can protect your private key in ways that do not allow somebody else to take it simply. And in that way, everyone who uses Bitcoin in the proper way, it makes it impossible for things to be taken from them by violence. So look, yeah, when the whole world is using Bitcoin, you won't be able to take money by violence. And if you want to survive in that world, then you better heed the counsel of John the Baptist and stop today. Turn back, repent from taking by violence, because that will never work in the kingdom of heaven, and it will never work in the kingdom of Bitcoin. So he also says, neither accuse any falsely. Now, this is a common situation, even with the police today. Um, you know, the soldiers were like the police of that day. Now we call them police as, you know, I mean, we also have soldiers, you know, of the military. But at that time, the soldiers were also in the role of the local police. And um, today it is, I mean, I don't have statistics on hand to say how often this occurs, but it does happen where the police make an accusation against a citizen. And if there's nobody else going to the trial except the policeman and the citizen, then uh, it's his word against yours. And which one is the judge going to listen to? You know, they put a little more trust in the policeman than in the average accused citizen. And so it is the case that policemen have a certain opportunity to falsely accuse people. And like I said, I, I don't know the statistics on how often that happens or even if it's entirely known, 
how often that happens. But the principle that's being brought to light here is the fact that there won't be this your word against my word in the kingdom of heaven. There will be a way to get to the absolute truth, and there will be no denying what actually happened. And, you know, interestingly, there was a situation, I I mean, this happens frequently, but I just happened to read one in the news uh, today, that a founder of a company was accused of taking some of the funds of the company that were held in a hardware wallet and making off with those funds. And sort of in the whole drama, there was also a raiding of the company and the, the that founder who uh, had left the company with supposedly with the funds was saying that no the police took the hardware wallet and they have the funds and so yeah this is, I'm not sure if that fits the situation exactly in that case it was not the police making the accusation but the other but in any case the point is still the same that it's not possible to make a false accusation because ultimately what happens is you can just go back to the blockchain and you can see the exact chain of events of what happened there and yeah there's it's not always easy to do that and it's not always clear you know and it requires uh, investigation and so forth but you know then you can always go back to the transparent ledger to the blockchain and see what actually transpired and it's very difficult to get away with crime when there's a transparent ledger so again, John the Baptist is saying, hey, you know, if you want to live in a hyper-Bitcoinized world, then you're ultimately going to have to be honest. You're not going to be able to make false accusations anymore about anything that ultimately is recorded back to the blockchain because, you know, the blockchain doesn't lie. And again, this reformation of character, this return to honesty and integrity is in complete harmony and actually is a preparation for the literal kingdom of heaven in heaven, not just on earth with Bitcoin. And so, again, we see Bitcoin as in complete harmony with the kingdom of heaven. And lastly, to the soldiers, he says, and this could perhaps apply to many, he says, and be content with your wages. So the point was that, you know, soldiers were sort of probably because they had this power to take by force, it was probably factored into their wages to a certain extent. Similarly to how, you know, waitresses and many other occupations where tips are involved, uh, often the wages are given, uh, you know, on the low side in the expectation that the person will be earning tips uh, in accordance with the quality of their service. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, especially in the case of tips, which are given on a voluntary basis. But the problem with the soldiers was that they had this power to sort of take advantage of people by force, and that wasn't allowing the people to help them on a voluntary basis. And so, again, Bitcoin brings this principle of when you give, you're giving on a free will basis. And I think of the zaps and, you know, all the ways that Lightning is enabling instant payments, instant Bitcoin payments in small amounts for purposes of tips, Uh, how there are tipping bots for all different kinds of chat systems and all this sort of thing so that you can voluntarily give, but to be unsatisfied with your wages, 
and to use that as sort of a justification for taking from your clientele by violence, that is something that Bitcoin does not allow. And the counsel of John the Baptist was to prepare the people to live in a world where additional income, like tips, is truly voluntary. So again, Bitcoin is in complete harmony with that. And the repentance required that John the Baptist taught is the same kind of repentance that is needed in order to thrive in a Bitcoin standard and ultimately in order to thrive in the literal kingdom of heaven. And closing out this passage, it says, And the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not. And, okay, now the Christ or the Messiah, you know, the the one who they expected to come and deliver Israel literally here and now on this earth from the power of the Romans, that's what they were looking for. That was the context of this whole preaching of John the Baptist was it was the preparation for the coming of the Christ. And the people understood that. And all this counsel that he gave that we see is also necessary for people to apply if they are to thrive in a hyper-Bitcoinized world. This same repentance is the repentance that was to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus Christ. Because in the face of infinite justice, you must have a good character. And the justice that Bitcoin brings to this world here and now also requires that transformation of character. And so in a certain sense, and I find this topic highly fascinating, but in a certain sense, to become a Bitcoiner almost implies that you have to become a Christian, at least in principle, if not in name. I find that fascinating. Now, that doesn't mean that it's, a, it's something that happens overnight. Of course, any horrible person can go and buy Bitcoin and huddle it, you know, until his death or whatever and, and never change his character and he won't be any better off for it. But the interesting thing is that if all things were held equal, if you imagine, if you extrapolate what the future would be like on a Bitcoin standard over the long run, what would happen? Who is it that's going to prosper under the Bitcoin standard? According to the Bible and according to the preaching of John the Baptist and later of Jesus, it can be seen that those who are going to thrive under the Bitcoin standard are those who have repented and who have turned away from their sort of fiat mindsets of seeking gain and have turned to a mindset of justice, of doing what's right, and of benevolence, of true philanthropy, true charity with their own resources. Those are the ones who are going to thrive on the Bitcoin standard. And in a thousand years, if time would last, the world would look very different. And particularly the Bitcoin space would look very different. The type of people that will have thrived over the generations and so forth would ultimately be the people whose principles were of the highest fidelity to the principles of the kingdom of God. And so if you want to know where the capital of the world is going to be after the thousand-year millennium, following the principles of Bitcoin, all you have to do is look for the most righteous people, the most honest, the people with the greatest integrity, the people who uphold justice to the utmost righteousness, which is what justice is. Look for them. And that would be the Bitcoin capital, so to speak, in a thousand years. 
just to kind of express it in a way that a person could imagine. So if you want to thrive in the Bitcoin world, you better develop a good character. And so again, to the Bitcoiners, I say, take a second look at Christ. And I think it's just kind of humorous and, uh, you know, funny in a way that money, the idol of mankind, God has turned into the incentive to be good. And in that way, through Bitcoin, God is kind of taking the reins himself and doing what sadly the church has failed to do on its own, which is to effect the desired change in the character of mankind. God is taking matters into his own hands, and that's what the judgment is all about. And now people have to stand in the judgment of God and to face infinite righteousness, to face a righteous judge. So these are solemn but exciting times. And for those who have been taken advantage of in this world, these are really exciting times because it's the time of restoration. So, wow, I think just from that initial summary of the preaching of John and of Jesus to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that summary, if you really understand it in sort of the context of the expectation of Israel at that time and in the context of the world today and the expectation of not only Christians, but of many peoples all over the world today who are seeking liberation from the oppression of the Romans of today. So that's just very fitting, and that just kind of sets the keynote for the whole study of what Jesus said about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and how it relates to Bitcoin today. Matthew 4 verse 23 gives another sort of summary where it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So the preaching of the good news of the kingdom resulted in the healing of the people. Now, that shows that what Jesus did was very practical. While he gave them the good news of the kingdom, that is to say, hey, be happy. I have great news for you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in the kingdom of heaven, guess what? This is going to be better. This is going to be better. That's going to be better. That's going to be better. And he says, look, hey, it's my kingdom. I'm part of the kingdom. I'm the Lord of the kingdom. You know, the Father sent me, and I'm here as an ambassador of the kingdom. And there, you're healed. See, I've healed you. And then he went around, and he healed the people. He helped them. He helped them in a practical way, in a way that they needed, in uh, that, that affected their physical lives and their livelihood. You know, the worst thing about physical disease that people suffered from in those days was that it was disabling that it prevented them from doing work and earning wages. And so anyone who was injured or had a disease that was disabling, it literally made them poor. Today, it's not quite so much that way because we have many occupations that don't necessarily require physical abilities and or at least not to the same degrees. There are many sort of intellectual occupations that people can participate in and earn wages without 
necessarily having to be entirely fit with their whole body. But if we understand the context of that day and why it was so important to the people to be healed, you know, in simplistic terms, the people were suffering from their sickness. But suffering, another way to express that is to say that quality of life is diminished. And today, if you look at quality of life being diminished, it's being diminished for all kinds of people. And the the biggest way that the quality of life is diminished today is arguably not because of sickness, even though there is a lot of sickness in the world, but it's because of financial oppression. This is what robs people of the quality of life today. This is what makes them poor today, just as in those days, having a physical disability meant you could not labor and you could not work and you could not provide for yourself or your family. And you became sick, you became a beggar, you became, you know, your life really went down the tubes in that way. Today, it's happening because of financial oppression. And the good news of the kingdom today would be, if it, you know, if, if we were to translate this to today, the good news today pertaining to a kingdom is the good news of Bitcoin that, you know, if you want, it's a kingdom that's coming and it makes it so that you can have quality of life again. And I want to stress at this point just that it's not about getting rich, okay? And it's not about having, you know, luxuries and and, and all this stuff, you know, the whole crypto craze and the desire to get rich quick is not in harmony with what the Bible teaches. And it's not in harmony, frankly, with Bitcoin. Bitcoin isn't about short-term gains. And yeah, especially in the past, the price was very volatile and perhaps some still to this day, uh, but much less so than in the past. You know, that has enabled many people to become extremely wealthy virtually overnight. But that is not the driving principle or the motivation as to what makes Bitcoin good and and why the world should adopt Bitcoin and why Christians should adopt Bitcoin in particular. It's about the principles of it. It's about the fact that it is sound money, that it is a, a money of justice, that it's all the good properties, the properties of the kingdom of heaven that are encapsulated in Bitcoin. That is what makes it desirable. And that's great news. That's great news because when your hard work is not taken from you by a disability, by a a handicap of X percent taxes here, a handicap of Y percent taxes to the state, X percent to the federal government, a handicap of Z percent fees transacting with your bank or your credit card or you name it, an amputation of trillions of dollars of debt printed and given to people who don't necessarily share your opinions and ideals. Those are the ways that people are injured and handicapped and and treated with violence today. People who are sick and diseased by the financial system and robbed of status and of quality of life and of influence today. That's the reality we live in. What we need is not health protocols for a disease that is blown out of proportion. What we need is a sound monetary system. And if Jesus were here walking the earth today, I believe he would be going around from church to church and preaching the good news of Bitcoin, which is the gospel of the kingdom. And he would be healing all manner 
of handicaps that destroy the quality of life of people today. The things that prevent them from making an honest income and being able to manage their money, their life, the product of their being in a system that is just and that won't rob them and take advantage of them by force. So, wow, I think that is just powerful. And the beauty of it is that it is here today. And you can opt into Bitcoin today. You can voluntarily say, yes, I'm going to sign up for the kingdom of God. And you can start your journey of education to learn what Bitcoin is all about. And when I did that, I found that it aligns with the kingdom of God. And that's what I'm sharing with you in this podcast. So that kind of covers the summary verses of how John and then Jesus both preached about the coming of the kingdom of heaven and how it was good news to the people and how it healed them. It met their needs. It brought them out of disrepute, out of the disadvantaged fringes of society, those who were sick, and brought them back into being normal, good members of the workforce, earning a solid living and contributing to society in a wholesome way. And that's what Bitcoin promises as well. If you love that, then you should be a Bitcoiner, even if it doesn't seem to be advantageous to you for this or that reason at the present time. It's just that the principles are what you love. And by making that choice, you're saying, yeah, I want to be in the kingdom of God. And I want my character to be aligned with that here and now. And I want to repent of anything that's contrary to that and that would inhibit me from being able to thrive in the kingdom of God. Now, the next several verses that mention the kingdom of heaven come in chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. And this is the chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is actually the first occurrence in the Bible of Jesus actually preaching a sermon where he refers to the kingdom. And let's take a look at what he says there in verse 3 of chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. It says, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a short verse, but there's a lot in here. It says, first of all, it says, Blessed are the poor. Okay? Now, you don't typically think of the poor as being blessed. So right there, we have to think about, okay, what did Jesus really mean? And again, it's interesting that this first statement of the Sermon on the Mount immediately strikes at economic issues. Blessed are the poor. Jesus is clearly talking to people that have nothing other than economics on their mind. And in this case, he wants to tell them something. He says, let me tell you something. All you people who are poor, you're blessed. You know why? You're blessed. But he doesn't just say it like that. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, spirit simply refers to the spiritual world. It can mean, you know, different things, air, breath. And by the way, when you study the Bible yourself, you can find online many different tools available that will tell you what the words actually mean in the original language uh, using the Strong's Concordance, and that's a great way to study. And so the word spirit, you know, you can look it up, that it refers to, I mean, quite literally, it refers to like air or breath. 
And by implication, it can mean uh, different things like basically intangible things uh, or, you know, spiritual things. The things of the kingdom of God, in other words, are described with this word spirit. And so when it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, it's saying that in the spiritual sense, those who are poor are actually blessed. And why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, heaven is the kingdom of the air or of the spirit. So when it talks about the poor in spirit, it's talking about spirit in the context of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the spiritual world. In other words, if we put on spiritual eyes, those who make themselves poor for spiritual reasons, for reasons of the kingdom of heaven, are actually blessed because they own the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. And when you look at this in the context of Bitcoin, it makes complete sense because the poorer you make yourself in worldly terms, in the terms of fiat value, in order to buy Bitcoin, the richer you become, the more of the kingdom of heaven becomes yours, the more you, the more Bitcoin you own, and you are correspondingly blessed, not necessarily in the eyes of the world, not necessarily in fiat terms. According to Jesus, they are blessed because when he comes in his kingdom, they will have a share in it. So I think that's interesting how the Beatitudes start right off with financial matters, which was probably top of mind for the people of that day. And then we come down to verse 10. It says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So just as in verse 3, the poor in spirit were declared blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here in verse 10, the ones who are declared blessed to have the kingdom of heaven are they which are persecuted for righteousness's sake. Now again, let's unpack this. Okay, they're persecuted. That means they're pursued and harassed and trouble is heaped upon them by others because of righteousness's sake. What is righteousness? And we often think in sort of with our modern mind, we, we, we think of righteousness being synonymous with goodness or holiness. But actually what it literally means is justice. You know, when it speaks about a righteous God, we're speaking about a God of justice. And yeah, part of justice is good. Justice is good. But the point here is that Bitcoin is known for its justice. It's known to be a system that enforces the rules for all equally. It is purely just in its principles of operation. And therefore, if you espouse those principles, if you say, yes, I love Bitcoin because I love the justice of it. I love the way it works. I love its incentives. I love its fairness. I love its openness, its non-discrimination. I love its availability to all classes. I love how it does not favor one above another. I love how it gives equal opportunity and equal advantages to all. I love how it enables free speech. I love how it enables freedom to transact. I love its censorship resistance. These are all characteristics of justice, and these are all things that a Christian also loves. And that doesn't mean free speech for those who I agree with. 
or that doesn't mean freedom to transact for those who do what I like. It's non-discriminatory. And that's what God is like, where, you know, the Bible says that he causes the sun to shine on the just and on the unjust. In other words, justice, the justice of God is non-discriminatory. He gives the fair opportunity to all, whether it be to enjoy the sunshine or in the context of Bitcoin, to be able to transact and engage with the world at a financial level on an equal playing field. Now, if you hold those views, and then the people of the world, the powers of the world, the politicians, the controllers of speech, the uh, social media platforms, the, you know, the government, the lawmakers that try to control them, the, you know, all these things, if you find yourself persecuted by those powers because of your espousing the principles of Bitcoin, the principles of righteousness, of justice, If for that reason you're persecuted, you're blessed. That's what Jesus said here. You're blessed. And why? Why are you blessed? Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. I think that's powerful. And I think that's a huge case for Bitcoin as a representation of the kingdom of heaven here on earth, here and now, through its characteristic of justice, of being sound money for the foundation of this kingdom. So if you want to be blessed participate in Bitcoin. If you're a Christian and you want to pay attention to the words of Jesus and you want to be among those who he declared as blessed, then by all means, start moving to the Bitcoin standard. And it doesn't mean all of a sudden you're going to get rich quick. It's not about that. It's about character development. It's about repentance because the kingdom of God is at hand. That's where your blessing lies. On the contrary, it indicates that that blessing comes with persecution because of the justice, and it comes with being poor in this world's terms. But in spiritual terms, you're blessed. And perhaps one of the biggest blessings is the fact that even if your character is not where it should be, the more you immerse yourself in Bitcoin and learn about it and use it and practice living with Bitcoin, the more your character will be refined the more you will find yourself in a state of repentance from the fiat mindsets that have been so harmful to you over the years and have been so ingrained in you just because of the world that you came into. So these are really powerful lessons. And I think that's probably a good point to wrap up this episode. So just a reminder that If you have enjoyed this episode, if it's been a blessing to you and you want to share that blessing with others, one way that you can do that is by contributing to the podcast and any sats that you donate will go towards promoting this podcast on the Fountain app. And of course, sharing directly with your friends by word of mouth is also the best way as long as you have opportunities to do that. And I think that's just the most logical and sensible way to make use of the funds that listeners contribute. And the lightning address for those contributions is bitcoinsermons at fountain.fm. You can also search for Bitcoin Sermons on Noster. And please follow me there for daily tidbits. And you can also zap me through your app of choice in that way. 
And again, those funds will be allocated towards the goal of promoting this podcast on the Fountain app. And later, the long-term goal will be to move the podcast to a censorship-resistant hosting platform. But at this early stage, that's a little bit less urgent. So that concludes today's episode. What did you think? Do you think that Bitcoin has anything to do with the kingdom of heaven and with the coming of Jesus Christ? I think so. And I'm really looking forward to getting into some of the other things that Jesus shared in his parables and how they relate to the situation today. So until next time, be blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven.